Welcome to the City View Community Church Podcast. Whether you're here for our weekly sermons, leadership chats, or conversations about life, we are stoked that you are here. If you want to know more of our story or want to partner with us, head over to cityviewcc.com. Our prayer today is that you walk away challenged, encouraged, and more passionate about discovering your purpose by knowing God, loving people, and living on mission. Let's jump right in. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name's Dustin Horning. I help run the students' uh, ministry here at City View, and I am very honored and humbled to be able to speak to you today. Uh, this being a worship Sunday, and with how good worship is, I uh, am sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but I'll, I'll try to be quick about it. I've really enjoyed this series. How great has airplane mode been? Pastor Danny, bring a good word. And it's, it's, it's such a cool truth to look at how these different little obediences, these different habits that God wants in our life can be used to compound into much bigger change and much bigger impact than we could do uh, just on our own. Uh, it, we don't need to take these, these big giant actions in order to have a big impact because God can use our faithfulness in the little moments when we're consistent in that faithfulness to add into something bigger. Uh, we see lots of examples of that all through the Bible. I think three of my favorites come from the book of Daniel. It opens up with these three great stories of, uh, you know, they've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel are all being trained by the, to become wise men in the king's court, and they want to serve them all this rich, extravagant food that probably would break their kosher laws. And they say, no, just, just vegetables and water for us, which would be a really hard habit for some of you to follow, but that's okay. But for them, they, they just wanted to eat what they felt like they were supposed to be eating. And, and then in a, a following chapters, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't, they just simply don't worship the idol like they're commanded. And Daniel just doesn't stop praying because he knows that's right. And they never do these big monumental shifts, but through those three different acts of consistent obedience, that nation is changed. The king's heart is changed. More people come to know their God, Yahweh, than would have happened just from them preaching on a street corner somewhere. And that's what God wants to do in, in our lives through our, the little obediences that he's called us to. And the one we're going to focus on today is about being active participants in a godly community. So with that, let's open in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this opportunity to be used by you, and I pray that you would use me, that you would speak through me, that you would be preparing the hearts and minds of those in this room to receive what you have to say to them, and that you would implant in them seeds in good soil that would continue to grow and flourish in their hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So why am I up here and not Pastor Danny? Well, you know, we thought it was really important for community that we had someone speak on it who just really needs a lot of help from the people around them. Really can't get anything done on their own. And so, yeah, I was like, me, I can, I can help with that. Uh, and it was, um, you know, as I was thinking about this, it, it was really revealed to me that I'm not alone in that. I, and that's not an accident. That God really designed us that way, designed us to be people who need people. And we can see that from the first pages of Scripture. So if we look at Genesis 1, 
in the beginning, we're going to jump around a little bit, so bear with me. But in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light. This is my God voice. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. And God continues to create and separate light from darkness and water from land and create birds and beasts and sea creatures. And at the end of most of the days, he looks around and he says, that's good. And then we get to this very special part of day six where God says, let us make man in our own image. And in verse 27... He has this little poem of, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And a few verses later, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, then morning, the sixth day. Everything's going good. All right. So now we get into chapter 2. We'll jump down to verse 16. And God is has this man that he's put in the Garden of Eden, and he has some special instructions for him. He says, And the Lord commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. And so, almost immediately, we get this idea of God calling something not good. Uh, It's the first time that's used in in the Bible, and it's before man even sins that God notices that something is not in the way that he wants it from his design. And I had a, you know, good is a really interesting word in that it's, it's very ambiguous and vague in the English language. It can mean a lot of different things. I had a professor in college who would say, good is never the right word choice to use. There's always a more descriptive adjective you can replace good with to enhance your writing. And he would go through our essays and and what we would turn in, and he'd mark us down with his red pen anytime we used good and, and make a suggestion. And I like to imagine that professor opening up his Bible and turning to Genesis 1 and being like, good, good. Oh, fourth day was also good? Yeah, no, great. Uh, And just not enjoying Moses' vocabulary. But for, for uh, in the original Hebrew, the Hebrew word that's being used there is tov. And it's this concept of, of things being in the right order, something being a really good example of the kind of thing it is, this, this kind of rightness. Um, you know, it's used in, in other places in the Bible where they talk about go do what you think is right, go do what you think is good, this, this idea of an understanding of how things should be. And I, I don't know if any of you do jigsaws puzzles, but for me, it, it invokes this image of, you know, when you're building like two separate parts of the puzzle and then they start connecting and they fit together and you're like, Tove, that's good. That's how that should be. And you put in that last piece of the jigsaw puzzle and everything's laid out and that's very Tove. And that's what was happening on the sixth day. And so then what, what happens? Why, why, why isn't that continued into what, we see when God gives the command to, to Adam. And I have here in our notes that God designed us to live in community so that we can be like him and so we can obey him. And so if we look at the situation that Adam is in when God says it's not good, 
He's not being like God in his image because God, our God is a God who lives in community in himself. The mystery of the Trinity, the God three in one, three persons that represent our God. And you can see this in the very beginning of the Bible. All three are represented and present there. That God created is acting as the father, the initiator of this whole universe. And we see the spirit hovering over the waters, near and close and active in the very boots on the ground way that he is. And John tells us that when God speaks, that very word that he's speaking is God's son, Jesus. And the light that God speaks out into the world is also Jesus. That Jesus is the fulfillment of God's will as he creates in our life. And so God creates people in his image. And he says, my image is one in community. These people need to be in community. And the trigger that makes God say this is not good is when he first gives us a command. He gives us an opportunity to obey him. Don't eat this tree. And he says, you're going to need community in order to do the things that I have for you. That's the purpose of community. That's why this is not good for us to be alone. And so God creates Adam and Eve, and they live there, and it doesn't work. <laughs> they sin anyway. Uh, and that's because there's a difference. It's not enough to just be with someone. That God's community is not about proximity, but about connection and encouragement. That to truly fulfill the intent of community in our lives, we have to know each other's purposes and how, what it looks like for us to obey God in our life. And then we have to encourage and be encouraged by those around us to then fulfill it. We can't hand someone an apple we just ate and said, try this, right? We can't watch someone take a bite of an apple and not speak up and say, hey, we're not supposed to do that. Or else the community isn't fulfilling the intent that God had for it. So how do we live in a community in the way that God has for us? I've broken that down into uh, five P's that will hopefully help that easy, be easier to remember. And the first one, thanks a lot, Danny, was spoiled during worship. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And this one is, as that song and from the Psalms that it comes from implies, this is our biggest community. That actually we are praising God in the fullest sense of community, that everything that has breath is praising God. And that Jesus, when he was entering Jerusalem, would say, it wouldn't matter if I told these people not to praise me because the rocks would praise me if they didn't. That all of creation as a community is praising God is part of our purpose to get together as a group and do that. And why worship Sundays like this are so great. This is also an important part because this is where our faith begins. That John's description of, of salvation and starting your experience with God is confessing your sins and acknowledging that Jesus Christ is Lord. Saying Jesus Christ is Lord is a form of praise. So we all start here. This is our entrance into a true godly community. Starts with praising the Lord. And in the same way, Paul warns us that stopping praising the Lord is actually the, the initiation of us moving away from our faith and moving into disobedience. And in the beginning of Romans, he tells us that the people who stopped acknowledging God as God and stopped thanking him for what he had done, that their foolish hearts were darkened and thinking they were wise, they became fools. And then describes a whole lot of sin that follows 
after that pattern. And so this is super important for us to stay rooted in this because this is foundational for what a community looks like. The next one is preaching the word. So everyone, get up here. You know, take a turn. We're going to preach. <laughs> no, but the, this is something, you know, the, the word of God, really all of the, these Ps, they have a place individually too. I'm not saying community is the only place for them. But there is very clearly in Scripture a different role for people who have a calling to be teachers and leaders and, and proclaimers of God word, God's word. That they put themselves in a place of higher accountability, that they take time to study, that they surround themselves with other people who are also studying at that degree, so that they can be an anchor for the context of what we are looking at God's word for. And so that they can make sure that we don't misinterpret or go too far astray in our independent study of what God's saying for us, and that we can validate that we are hearing from God. It also gives us a chance for us to hear as a community the same focal area and work together towards a common goal because we're hearing a unified word from the Lord in preaching. The next one is participating with our gifts and experience. And this one is really the crux of the matter to me, that if you... This is the difference between that community, that proximity, and that connection. When I was in middle school, uh, I played trumpet, and I switched schools in, in sixth grade, and I joined the band at the new school. And my first day there was a really strict conductor, and someone messed up playing something. He called them out and had them move down to a lower chair, meaning they weren't as good as the, the next person. And I got freaked out. <laughs> This was like whiplash, you know, I was like not going to be embarrassed like this. So I spent my first, you know, few weeks there not playing a sound on my trumpet. And I was good. I, I'd been taking private lessons for a number of times. I've done private, uh, uh, you know, whatever the performances are called. But I, in, in class, I would just sit and pretend to be playing my trumpet, hoping no one would catch me. Uh, until one day, there was something off. He heard someone out of tune in the trumpet section, and so he had us all play one by one. He'd have us sit, stand up and play, and so I, I couldn't fake it at that point. I had to stand up and play, and I did, and it was fine, and that kind of broke the, the fear for me, and I was able to then participate in the band. And before that, I was just sitting there, and I think that can happen to us without us even realizing it in our Christian communities. That we can just be pretending to participate in it, but if we're not actually making a sound, if we're not actually involved, then we're not actually a part of the band. That there's a difference there, and it takes action, and it takes a little bit of a leap of faith sometimes. But I promise I won't make you move down a chair. The next one is praying for and with each other. And this one's huge. I think prayer can, can sometimes get sidelined as a, a secondary activity in our faith. Uh, and I think Oswald Chambers said it really well, that prayer does not equip us for some greater work. Prayer is the greater work. That prayer is our, our direct connection to a God who is actually causing the outcomes to happen. And that we need to be actively involved in prayer as a part of our community. And again, this has a really important part as us individuals and privately. But there is clearly in scripture and in my own life experiences something unique about praying together with other believers. 
laying on of hands, sharing prayer requests, having someone pray with you, praying for those around you by name, by their specific needs, that causes an impact that is unique to a community. Jesus tells us that when two or three are gathered in my name, that he will be there. And James tells us that there's an opportunity for us that if we come together and confess our sins to one another, let us know what's going on in each other's lives and ask for prayer, that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And the other encouragement there, real quick, is that you don't actually need to know how to pray. It's not something you need to practice. There's not a magic script. There's not right words. Paul in in Romans will tell us, you don't know how to pray how you should. He tells us, you're bad at praying. And because of that, the spirit in us actually prays with us and for us while we're praying. So again, it's not doing it right. It's just being willing to participate and obey and, and pray to the best of your ability. And that's all God wants because, again, he controls the outcomes. And the last one is practicing discipleship. And I know discipleship's actually what I'm calling out here, and that's not a P, but I was really close at four, so give me some mercy. Uh, practicing discipleship. Discipleship can mean a lot of things, right? God, God sent us out to make disciples of, of all people. The discipleship I'm talking about here is really that tight community where you allow complete vulnerability and accountability. That you have people in your life that you can be totally honest with. That you can let them know when you mess up. That you can let them know what, you, what you, the desires of your hearts are. What you think God is talking you through. That this gives you a safe floor to make sure that you don't backslide too much or you don't fall into bad habits too quickly and that you get the encouragement of, hey, have you actually started making, taking action towards this thing that you think God is, is doing? And in this area of discipleship, you want to be aware of the different levels of it. In, in, in a healthy discipleship situation, you should have someone in front of you, someone you're looking up to, someone who's mentoring you, who's gone through the things you're going through, and you see godly character in them that you want to have in you. And that, that person can help lead you and, and encourage you on, on how to get through the situations you have. You want to surround yourself with people who are in the similar life stage as you, similar, going through things similarly to you, that you can be honest with them and they can be honest with you and like, hey, I... I uh, was struggling with this today, and they're like, yeah, I know how that is. Let me pray for you. And they can reciprocate that, and that way you can iron sharpen iron, really practice a, a vulnerability in a safe spot to, to grow each other and your convictions. And there should be someone that you're working with who maybe is not as mature in their faith that you can help mentor that might be going through things you've gone through in your past. And that's part of why that's part of your testimony, is so that you can then invest that testimony into their lives and say, I know how, what you're going through because I went through something similar. Let me pray with you. Let me encourage you that you can get through this because I did and I know God is faithful. Okay, that's a lot. How often do I have to do all of that? Uh, it's a good question. <laughs> uh, and I think there's a, there's a tendency to say, like, kind of what's the minimum... I have to be involved here. Do I have to go to church every Sunday? Do I have to go to all of the church events? Do I have to you know, be at every, every prayer meeting? I, I don't have a number for you, but I do want to say I think that's the wrong approach. I, if I said to Jasmine, my wife, hey, what's the least I need to talk to you and still love you? 
there's a problem in the question. I can't both want to love Jasmine and look for the least that I need to talk to her. So there's not an answer to that. I don't know what, what God's call on your participation in our life is, but I know that you should be looking for opportunities to lean in, not lean away for what, the commun- what you can be doing in the community. Paul in Romans 12 says it this way. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of him or herself more highly than he or she should think. Instead, think sensibly, as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one of you. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. This is not one of those kids' books that tell you how special you are. You are special. God has gifted you specially. You have a special faith that is intended to be used in a larger context of his full body, that you are members of one another. Community is not a means to achieve your individual purpose. Your full purpose is realized through a shared purpose in a community. Now, that might seem a little bit, you know, it, is there really that big of a difference? If I'm pursuing my purpose in God, does it really matter if I'm pursuing that as my ultimate goal or if I'm pursuing the purpose of the community as my ultimate goal? And I think it does because there comes time when the community is not perfect. Unfortunately, the members of the body that you are made up with are also flawed humans. And that introduces opportunities for us to mess up for people to get hurt by the church or by people in the church, for us to be let down. And when that happens, if your main purpose is your individual growth or your individual fulfillment, you'll start to think, I don't need that. That hurt me. That didn't do what I needed it to. But when your purpose is in fulfilling the purpose of the community, and then it's imperfect, you're challenged to then still stay active, to be a part of the change that that community needs to then become healthier. If you have challenges with the community that you're in, maybe that's why God has you in that community, so that you can be the voice of what God is speaking into you and bring that conviction to a larger group so that you can help that body be healthy in the way that he needs it to be healthy. And I want to talk about a concept real quick. called emergence. Emergence is this idea in a lot of different sciences, biology and physics and astrophysics, that there's a, with a group of things, you can introduce a new level of complexity that is not present in the individual parts. So a body is actually a really good example of this. We have the individual parts, even going down to the cellular level. You have these cells that are really functionally pretty simple. Proteins in, proteins out, I carry oxygen around, right? But when they all come together in in the form of a body, you now have a living, breathing human who can throw a ball and write a poem and play Fortnite. And those things are way more complex than any cell could know or understand. Uh, Or an ant colony is another example. Ants are super simple. They just can smell and distribute pheromones that tell them, go down this path or pick up this piece. But they together build these complex city infrastructures that can store food and fight other colonies. That's the next level of complexity. 
Now, why do I bring that up? Because I believe that that's what the church is, and I think you can see that in Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, community. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the power of the inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at that again. The prayer for Paul, from Paul here for us, is that we comprehend what can't be comprehended. A next level of complexity of God's love is available to us when we comprehend it with all the saints. From the Father who gave all the fa- every family on earth its name. That as a part of the community, how we experience God as a community transcends our understanding as individuals. There is something greater than even we can understand as individuals that we plug into when we become a part of a greater whole in God's name. As an example of this, I want to talk about Winterfest, which was what we just did with our students a couple weekends ago. And there were so many independent parts that were participating in that. People who gave money towards our our Christmas offering so that we could fund uh, scholarships for students to go. People who donated their time. People who prayed for us. People who even offered uh, a vehicle for us to use. And it... You know, I think when, when that family let us use their vehicle, they probably just thought, you know, this is, is going to and from. What they didn't know is that unlocked the ability for us to collect into smaller groups throughout the trip and introduce new opportunities for us to connect and have conversations in, in these tighter groups than would have been possible if we were shoulder to shoulder, buckled together in just one big group. That there was times at Winterfest where our students were responding to worship, that they were coming up to the altar call, that they were releasing forgiveness that was unforgiven in their hearts, or, or hearing being spoken directly by the, the preacher on the stage. And I couldn't be with all of the students at once, even though I wanted to pray, and God said to me, it's not about you, You're, this is bigger. And I would pray, God, then just send someone to pray with them. And he would. Leaders from other churches would come and put their hands on our students' shoulders and start praying for them. Because I am not important individually. I am a part of a bigger body that God is moving to do change lives in all of us, in me and in the students that we sent. Because our little obedience gets added up when we put it together with other obedient people to do something bigger than any of us could have done individually. And Peter describes it this way. I think Peter's a really important, important, important person on this because Peter gets called out by Jesus as, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to overcome it. And Peter realized that it wasn't the rock that the gates of hell wasn't able to overcome. It was the church built on it. And so he says this in his letter, but you, plural, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Look at all those different ways that God has set us apart. So that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, 
but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Uh, Nietzsche is reported to have said, I might believe in the Redeemer if his followers looked redeemed. That I want to acknowledge there is a, a very important part of our, our work here in the world that we do individual to individual and that your connections with other individuals is fundamental to how God wants to reach people. But there is also an importance in our presence as a community doing the good works that God has prepared for us to do in a bigger scope than we can do individually so that not only those good works are done and the people are blessed through those, but people see those good works who otherwise wouldn't and start glorifying God. And glorifying God, if you remember, brings us back into praise the Lord, which is that first step into that community. That's where it all starts, that we have to act in faith as part of being in the community for any of this to matter. That our greater purpose as a community is to live in God's light, to perform his good works so that God is glorified. He's given us his mercy. He's called us out of darkness, not to sit and not participate, but to be active as a set apart people, as a royal priesthood, to go into the world and do things collectively to make big impacts that people can't help but talk about and say, God must be good because what this church did was good. And I'll close with this. I don't, I don't know what you came in here with. I don't know what your, the skills God's given you or the talents. I don't know the stories or the hurt that have gone in, on in your life. But I know that for where you are today, all that you have, good and bad, God wants you to bring that into this community. God wants you to bring it into a faith community so that he can use it in a more powerful way and in new ways that you couldn't imagine on your own. I'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today and this opportunity for us to be together and practice living in community like you designed us for. I pray that you would put in all of us a desire innately to be with each other. You'd put in us a boldness to be vulnerable and to reach out, to say something that might put us, might be sensitive to us, but we think might be able to be an encouragement to someone else. To be willing to say when someone tells us something going on in their life, hey, can I pray for you about that? Give us a boldness, Lord, to participate in the community in the way that you intended for us to do. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.